be seated. Be sure to follow along today on the sermon notes. Those are printed on the green insert in today's worship folder. If you are watching online, you can follow along at our website, holyword.net. The sermon notes are printed there. The word of God that guides us today is from James chapter 3. Words about words. Listen to God's word here in James chapter 3. When we put bits into the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal. Or take ships, for example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants the ship to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Nothing Neither can a, a salt spring produce fresh water. This is God's word. Is there such a thing as a meaningless word? Right, different, different words carry different weight. Um, we use words to express ourselves, to communicate. But wouldn't you say that there's some words that are more important than other words? Words like emergency or stop. Or winner would seem to me more important than words like asparagus or follicle. Then again, if you have the letters A-S-P-A-R-A-G-A-S on your little Scrabble board and, uh, and you need to win the game and you can spell asparagus with those words and you spell it, on the triple letter score, a triple word score for the win, that makes asparagus a pretty important word, doesn't it? Right? So any word, there are no meaningless words. Any word can be important given, in, given any kind of situation where it's used. So really, all words matter. The Eighth Commandment, that's what it teaches us. It teaches us that all words matter. We might think that some words that we say don't, add, don't carry a lot of weight or meaning, both in a good way and a bad way, but they do. Words are very powerful. So today we're going to look at the Eighth Commandment, and, uh, and here it is. Let's read it together. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God so that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray them, slander them, or hurt their reputation. 
but defend them, speak well of them, and explain everything in the kindest way. So when you go to the doctor for your physical, one of the ways that he's going to use to determine your health is he's going to say, stick out your tongue and say, you got, well, all right, you got to say it longer than that, though. Stick out your tongue and say, ah, yeah, see? So by looking in your mouth, the doctor can, in some ways, determine your health. God does the same thing. If God wants to determine how healthy you are spiritually, one of the ways he does it is by looking in your mouth. Say, ah, and what has come out of that mouth? God looks at that to determine some spiritual health. Now, what's important is that he doesn't just look at the mouth, though. Um, He looks deeper at the heart. Here's a verse. You're going to see it on the screens here from Matthew chapter 12. This is Jesus speaking and telling us how what comes out of our mouth really starts in the heart, and that's what God is interested in. Jesus says this, For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. A good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So there's three areas of words today uh, that I want to cover in the Eighth Commandment. The wrong words, the right words, and God's words. The most important of those three are God's words. God speaks words of care and love and forgiveness to all of us. Words that forgive our wrong words. Words of God that actually equip us with the grace to speak only the right words and the holy words and the righteous words that are good for other people and that glorify God. So let's start by looking at wrong words. I want to tell you three things that wrong words do to damage and to destroy. Wrong words destroy others. Wrong words destroy us, ourselves. And wrong words destroy our relationship with God. A while back, I I was in a tall building. I got on an elevator to go up double-digit floors. And uh, I got onto the elevator, and just as the doors, doors were closing, um, this lady snuck in behind me, got on the elevator. There were four or five other people in there, so now we have a little crowd in this elevator. And it didn't take a half a floor before all of us in the elevator were thinking this one thought about this lady who just got on. Yep, she's a smoker. The, it, it, I, you couldn't see the fumes, but you could smell the fumes of her smoker's breath that were filling up the elevator, right? So uh, she couldn't hide it, right? She was a smoker. She couldn't hide the fact that what's coming out of her mouth, her smoker's breath, has, has given her away. It's now infect, infecting and polluting the rest of us, but it pollutes her too. Those are the first two big points about wrong words. So look at verse 9. Um, you can refer in your worship folder to these verses from the text if you want. Um, I'm not going to put most of them up on the screen, so if you want to see them, Just go to the worship folder where James 3 is printed. And verse 9 says this, We curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. 
Right? So our wrong words destroy others. Blaming your boss or complaining about your classmates when it's really your own mistakes. Um, talking snarky on Facebook or, uh, or being a little snotty on Snapchat. Right? Trash-talking someone with a group of friends and they're trash-talking them too, but it's really easy to do because they're not there and you're talking behind their back. All right? Other people are not your ashtray. That's what verse 9 says. God did not create that person that you're trash-talking. He did not create that person as a, as a trash bag. He did not create them as an ashtray. They are not yours to abuse with your words. Your wrong words destroy that other person, and God said that should not be. And your own wrong words, like the smoking lady who got in the elevator, was one of us going to tell her, if you don't stop smoking, you're going to kill yourself. Because your own wrong words destroy you, too. Uh, look at verse 6. The tongue is a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body. One of the commentators that I read in studying this text said this, uh, A fool's tongue is long enough to cut his own throat. Your words will catch up with you, your wrong words. Uh, like, like the Facebook posts that some parents put out there, they just blasted their son's coach because he disciplined their son amongst the team and maybe used some words that were questionable, but, but the point was that the coach disciplined their son. They heard about it in a different way and just took this coach to task in a public way out on Facebook and I'm talking, they use language ten times worse than the coach ever used to tell the coach how nasty he was. Uh, wrong words. And their son, who is a very good football player, one of the stars of the high school football team, lost a college football scholarship because when he was being recruited, guess what the recruiters did to check out this kid? Right? They crept on his Facebook page, and they found out how his parents operate. And they said, we're not going to be a part of it. Your words, your wrong words hurt you. Thirdly and most importantly, wrong words hurt our relationship with God. They destroy that relationship with God. Uh, God created us in his likeness, James says. And when we use a language that isn't God's, it's a foreign language to him. This, these words right here say it's actually the language of hell, the language of evil. Your words are either one or the other. They're not both. They're either words that use God's language or words that cut your own throat. Our words, our wrong words, our evil words destroy our relationship with God. Now, that's so bad that in James, it says we can't even fix that problem. Right? Look at uh, this verse here in James. Oh, we human beings can tame the tongue, or cannot tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. No 
human being can tame the tongue. So really, <laughs> the Bible is saying, hey, boy, wrong words are bad. Don't say them, but good luck. You won't be able to follow that advice. All right, but there is a solution. There is an answer. And that answer goes back to Jesus' words. The mouth speaks what the heart is full of. I cannot change my own words, but with a changed heart, I can speak from the heart within me that is changed by Jesus Christ. So, 1 Peter 2, verses 23 and 24. These verses were read as our first Bible reading. Here is the cure. Here is the solution to wrong words in my life where it says about Jesus when they were torturing and crucifying him, when they hurled their insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. You have been healed. Your heart has been changed, and your heart is the heart of God. Actions speak louder than? Yeah. So what, can, can Jesus, by his actions, really back up his promises? When he says, I forgive you, can he back that up by his behavior? When he says, your sins are as far as the east is from the west, what does he do to prove that to us? When he says, I look at you and I see you as someone who is pure and holy, as someone who always has the righteous, right words, really, how, can, how do we know that's true? 1 Peter 2 tells us Jesus' actions. Number one, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. When Jesus was being beaten with fists, when the crown of thorns was piercing his skull, when he was being whipped and his back, the skin on his back was being lacerated, when, when the nails were going through his hands, and he felt like screaming out, crying out, calling down curses from heaven on the people who were torturing him, his heart said, no. His heart said, believe in your Father and trust yourself to your Father whose will it is for you to be right here, right now. And because he could trust his Father, he said nothing. He called down no legions of angels. He called down no curses on those who were persecuting him, all because of his Father's mission with a heart of love for you. Secondly, Jesus' actions. He bore our sins. Jesus paid for crimes that he didn't commit. He paid for our crimes that we committed. He paid for your sins. And so the Bible says, by his wounds... You're healed. You have a healed heart. All of your wrong words that you have ever spoken are gone and forgotten. You are forgiven by Jesus' actions, which speak louder than words, and he gives you the same words. And so you have a new heart changed by God, a heart from which you can speak and speak the right words. Um, verse, verse 6 says this about the tongue. It sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Woo! Strong words. I'm going to teach you something about that verse. That word hell there in the Greek language, which I didn't speak before, but and I don't want to over-impress you, so I'm not going to speak it now. 
But in, in the original Greek language in the New Testament, that word hell right there is Gehenna. It's one of the words that the Bible uses for hell. There's a couple others. Hades is also one of them. Okay? Um, that word Gehenna was, was then used by the people in Jerusalem as the name of the garbage dump, as the name of, of the trash pit that was outside the, the southern walls of the city of Jerusalem, outside the city walls, and then they burned their trash in Gehenna. It was a constant, never-going-out, smoldering, burning, smelly, bad-odor fire in Gehenna. And then the Bible writers used that word also as a picture for hell, which is the same thing, except eternal and spiritual. One of the things that the Roman soldiers who were in charge of executions and crucifixions, which was on another hill near Gehenna, one of the things they were in charge of was disposing of the bodies from this hill after the bodies were corpses and they died and the criminals were crucified. And what they did was they dragged the bodies from the cross, they took them down, and they threw them in Gehenna and then you had rotten flesh burning in Gehenna, and the people of Jerusalem always knew when there were crucifixions because you could smell dead flesh burning, and it was awful. That hill, not, not Gehenna, but the other one where, where people were crucified, you know the name? There's another G word. You know the name for that hill? It's a G word? Golgotha. That's where Jesus was crucified with two criminals, Except Jesus' body never went to Gehenna. Well, the, the one outside the city of Jerusalem. Jesus' body was taken down caringly from the cross by a disciple named Joseph of Arimathea who embalmed it and put spices on it and wrapped it in strips of linen and put it in his own tomb. And Jesus, unlike any other criminal who'd ever been crucified, came back to life. And Jesus, he rose from the dead, and then he went to Gehenna, not as a dead corpse, but as a living human being who is God, still God, in the flesh. Jesus' body went to the real hell where there were real spiritual fires burning and where the devil lives and all his demons, and he proclaimed victory over them and over sin and over guilt and over shame and over every wrong word you and I have ever said. That's our Savior. Our tongues that have been set with the fires of hell, Jesus has extinguished those fires. The fires of hell do not own your tongue. The deadly poison of bad words does not control your heart. Jesus does. The resurrected, living, powerful, glorified Jesus. And so the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Just believe that. Just believe that, that Jesus has changed your heart and that's going to change your language. It's going to change how you speak. Colossians 3 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in us richly as we speak to one another. That's where the word of Christ dwells, in your heart. All you need to do is open your mouth and it, and as, you, as you're believing in Jesus, it's, it's the words of Christ are going to come out. 
I could give you more, but I'm just going to give you 10. I'm giving a top 10 list for Vickers Farewell today, so I figured I'll give you a top 10 list in today's sermon. And here's the top 10 list. The top 10 things I have heard you, the Holy Word, Pflugerville attenders say in the last week that have reflected this God language, that have reflected the words of Christ that are dwelling in your heart. All right? Some of these are kind of private, but I'm going to word them in ways that you're not going to know. But these are real, these are real scenarios. I'm, and I'm just rejoicing here. I'm, I'm just sharing these to encourage you that the right words, the words of Christ, dwell in us. And they're in your heart and they're in mine. And we speak to them to each other and it's powerful. Um, a family has forgiven each other. A family that is engaged in bad behavior to each other has forgiven each other and they're reconciling and they're growing. Uh, a marriage looking for rebuilding, the husband held his wife's hand, looked into her eyes and said, I love you. And he committed himself to her unconditionally with loyalty and I'm not going anywhere and I'm here for you and for us. That, that word is like a, like a spark that sets a forest on fire. There's a connect group with people here today that's recommitted to daily Bible reading and and they have a, faith, a, a group page, and they encourage each other, and they post their comments and their prayers, and they're accountable to each other, and they've, they've rekindled with that spark of words. They've rekindled their love for God's Word and their study of it. I saw numerous Facebook posts that built others up instead of tearing them down. Um, I saw not as numerous, but we can work on this, but a few Facebook posts that share the content that we put out there as your church. Gospel content, words of Christ. It's, it's one easy click and you're sharing that with, with all your Facebook friends. Um, that's a great example of the word of Christ dwelling in us, speaking God's language. Uh, and that's like a rudder, a small rudder that's going to steer the ship and give direction to your friends and to their lives as they hear God's word. Um, from us, your, your word of God leaders, and you just click one button and share that. Um, we had a Holy Word Pflugerville member return after an absence and say, I realized how much I miss my church. Uh, your words of encouragement uh, and prayer on the, on the connection cards, those blue connection cards that you fill up, are so meaningful. I just love reading through those. Um, and sometimes they're just encouragement to, to me or to the worship team or to others in church. Most of the time it's words of prayer. And your words of prayer are coming from the heart that Jesus has changed in you with concern for others. Well done. Uh, a passion for sharing the gospel and for mission work. Um, I've had Holy Word attenders ask me for a material, for church material. I want to give it to my friends. Um, do you have 50 of these so I can give them to my friends? I need to give more. Um, we're going to see here in a minute, uh, we're going to have um, two of our attenders come up here and tell us about their mission work, overseas mission work, because Jesus has changed their heart and they have to speak his words to others in this passion for it. That passion also we share in our Pflugerville plans. It looks different from overseas mission trip, but words of encouragement, words of love, and words of commitment to our aggressive plans to build a church and a preschool on that property right there. And you may not have any preschoolers in your family for the next 10 decades, 
but you support it because you know it's good for, as outreach to our community. Same with me. Um, that's the word of Christ dwelling in us. Words of grace that have reconciled broken family relationships, family relationships where family members haven't spoken to each other in 20 years. Just this past week, one of them made the effort to speak to the other words of Christ, and that relationship is being reconciled. And this is the last one. Um, Hearing a three-year-old say a prayer and say, thank you, Jesus, amen. It just moves your heart uh, that even our little ones have their hearts changed and the word of Christ dwells in them richly. Uh, So thank you. Thank you for speaking such good and right words. Keep it up. Make every effort to speak as lovingly and kindly to each other as possible and, uh, and build each other up. There's, uh, there's probably some people here who, who still have one of these. Maybe I do. Uh, but I, I found that most Texans, especially native Texans, can recognize a Wisconsin accent. Uh, you know, oh, yeah, you betcha. Let's go home and eat some bagels, you know. I still got it. Your accent... It really gives away your identity. It tells where you're from and the, 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 where you grew up, which is part of who you are, right? People know your identity by how you speak. When you speak the right words, God's words, righteous words, the words that are already in here and fill your heart, other people are going to be able to tell. They're going to be able to know your identity, and you are going to represent God as you speak his words, none of which are meaningless, all of which has meaning for you and for others. And now the final word. Say it. Amen. All right, let's pray. Thank you, God, for your words, uh, your words of Scripture, which are your words of promise, words of threat, words of encouragement, words of direction, words of truth and love. Further, fill our hearts with these words and their truths as you equip us to speak the right words to others. Always remind us that our hearts have been changed and that our identity has nothing to do with evil or hell or the devil or his lies and everything to do with you and your resurrected Son, Jesus Christ. Put his words on our lips. And may the words which we have shared here at Holy Word Pflugerville, and the words that we are going to share with others, may they be a blessing to many as you work on our hearts and in theirs. In Jesus' name, amen.